The Redskins are the walking wounded, but can they keep from being the walking dead? And the Nationals have a new manager. We'd like to know whether he has what it takes to make it to the World Series. Thanks for checking out the DMV Sports Roundtable. I'm Dimitri Sotis with Jamal Bowens and Chris Chase today. Follow our podcast on Twitter at DMV Sports Round 1. Listen on Podcast 1 and iTunes or WTOP.com. Just search podcast. The Skins are beefing things up by signing veteran end Arthur Jones. Is Jones uh, something to behold? I, I guess what, any warm body is at this point. I mean, I guess so. It's 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 just what you have to do at this point. Uh, you have to do your due diligence and bring people in. Arthur, when he played for uh, for Baltimore, was a very good defensive end. Had a lot of injuries when he went to uh, the Indianapolis Colts. A little older now. Um, of course, everybody knows that he's the brother of Chandler Jones and John Bones Jones. He's the, the older Jones. Um, but he's somebody that, hey, I didn't think Phil Taylor had anything left. And, you know, he surprised the hell out of me when he came here. So you can only hope that when they sign Orlando Franklin veterans like him and when they bring in another veteran like Jones that maybe possibly, you know, they have a little more left in the tank than than we or anybody else thought because I thought, you know, Phil Taylor was pretty much done and he came in here and uh, during the offseason and, and earned the starting nose job until he got hurt, unfortunately. So you got to hope that, you know, when they do bring in vets like this, they have a little more left than, than people give them credit for. They can, you know, come in and provide some some depth and some leadership. I agree with everything Jamal said. Arthur Jones can come in if he can play that veteran role and, and stabilize what's been an unstable defensive line. That'd be great. You know, but when you when you asked the question, Dimitri, my first thought was, can he play offensive line? Because really, that's where the problem is right now. Yes, the, the, the defensive line let Ezekiel Elliott run all over them Sunday. But what we're seeing, and, and we knew this going in, we talked about it last week during the podcast, we talked about it Friday in the roundtable, was that the offensive line was going to be the key, the key to this game. And they just could not keep the Cowboys away from Kirk Cousins. Uh, Cousins would take these three-step drops. He'd try to get rid of the ball quickly. Either guys were open guys would drop the ball guys would run four yard patterns when they needed five yards mm-hmm. for the first down and then cousins seemed to get a little skittish in the pocket uh he didn't you know utilize his feet as much as we've seen him in the past he had that one very good run in the fourth quarter that you know helped hope stay alive for the Redskins. But more often than not, he was sort of stepping to the left and either pump faking or running left and getting sacked and not throwing the ball away. And I mean, there was at least two or three inexplicable plays where you're looking at Kirk Cousins and you're saying, dude, you are a six-year veteran in the NFL and you didn't know to throw that ball away. Uh, There was a big one on a second and 10 that basically knocked the Redskins uh, from getting a first down and they had to punt in, in that situation. So, with that offensive line, everything is unstable and it, everything just stems from that offensively. And then when you look at the defensive line and you look at, uh, you know, what the what you and Arthur Jones is joining, it's not helped by the offensive line. I mean, because they're going three and out. They're not driving the, the field very uh, for long drives. They're not keeping the defense on the field. So who's being on the field? The Redskins defense. And they're getting tired. And we saw it. On uh, you know we saw uh, uh, on Sunday in particular when the Redskins uh, gave up that 
I gave up the lead at, at 13, uh, you know, it was 13-9, supposed to be 13-7, supposed to be 16-7. to They had that awful, awful field goal block that was returned basically, you know, for a touchdown. They needed two plays to get in after that. And then once that play happened, the Redskins didn't score again until a garbage touchdown. So the it showed that the Cowboys wore the Redskins defense down and you know the the uh, the thing you say is oh well the defense didn't play very well that's true but the offensive line is the reason the defense had to be on the field so much yeah I agree with that I I disagree a little bit with the defense played poor they played poor because just like the same reason you said that we said this every week that they keep getting rolled out there because the offense gets stagnant especially as the game wears on they start off quickly they've scored. Uh, they scored in their first drive, what, seven straight games or something like that, and then they start to bog down. Um, with the defense, if you look at that game, they kept them in it. If it's not for the block kick, if it's not for the back-to-back fumbles uh, from Cousins and Thompson to start off the second half, and they put them in very bad positions because Dallas had great field position, but they, they held that to three. There was a, a lot of Nugent kicks were in that uh, in that lead that, that Dallas took. And going into the fourth quarter, it's, it's still a 10-point game. So the defense did enough to keep them around. They got worn down. But the thing about the offensive line is this. It's decimated. We know this. Gruden can also help out. I noticed in the first half, they moved the pocket a lot. You get Kirk on bootlegs, uh, quick screens, and move the pocket. He stayed clean for pretty much the entire first half, except for maybe that very last play uh, at the end of the uh, the second quarter, uh, he took a sack. Second half, they didn't move the pocket as much. He took more three-step drops, five to seven-step drops, and that line just parted like the Red Sea. You cannot, especially going into this week, against this defensive line that uh, Seattle has, who has now added uh, Sheldon Richardson, you cannot, with this mash unit up front, you cannot afford to have him drop back five to seven-yard drops, not even three, because he's got to get out on bootlegs and waggles, and I don't even know they call it waggles anymore, and things like that to move the pocket and get him out of harm's way, get him in space to make plays. If they have him keep backing up, Dallas does not have a very formidable pass rush. Lawrence has had a great season. Um, they have a couple guys that can rush the passer, but as a whole, as a unit, they haven't been necessarily getting after the passer that much this season. So it's not like you're dealing with that formidable of a line. This week you are. You're going to get. It's not the same Legion of Boom, but they are much more formidable than what you had to deal with with Dallas. And you cannot. You're going to get Kirk killed if he does not adjust his playbook. He called it right in the first half. He has a tendency when things work, he goes away from it. And when they're not working, he sticks with it. So Gruden kind of confuses me in that way. The coach, Jay Gruden, has been wearing a shirt this week by any means. He's been wearing it all season. Is that right? He's been wearing that since training camp. And Wow, it really, uh, <laughs> it's really a lot more resonant now. Yeah, that's that's been the slogan. They come up with these slogans. I don't know if, if, if Robert Griffin started this with the no diamonds, no pressure, no diamonds t-shirt but now every year they've got some sort of a slogan some sort of a t-shirt that they carry into the season i don't know if what that means for them this year because 
they're going to have to, by any means, win football games. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, it, it, it means a lot heading into Seattle. Chris Chase, any, any thoughts on uh, whether we should expect anything but a big L on Sunday? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, it's gonna get the ugly. good news, I mean, you know, it, the good news, uh, I don't think there is any good news going into Seattle. This has been a house of horrors for the Redskins. Mm-hmm. It's one of the toughest places to play in the NFL, no matter what the Seahawks are doing. The Seahawks are playing well this year uh, in a very, very, I think, wide open NFC. And look, I know everyone's saying the Eagles at seven and one are by far the best team in the NFL. I I don't buy that. I think the Eagles are a very good team. I think we'll see them get to the playoffs and we'll go from there. Much like the Panthers when they were 15 and one and not necessarily the best team in the league. Record doesn't always dictate uh, who who the favorite is. So this NFC is wide open and Seattle is definitely one of those teams that you look at as a favorite in the in the NFC West and in the NFC and right now they're sitting you know pretty they're sitting pretty at five and two you look at them early in the season they were one and two they had a loss to the Titans and you thought oh this team's in trouble and then all of a sudden boom four straight wins Uh, and they played the game of the year uh, last week uh, against Houston Texans and their phenomenal rookie quarterback Deshaun Watson Mm -hmm. a guy who fell in the draft inexplicably even though he was just a star at Clemson and playing a get playing a pro style offense against these pro def, you know basically pro style defenses and tearing up Alabama in the national championship game, uh, which is basically an NFL defense in itself. And Deshaun Watson falls in the draft. He goes and plays against Seattle last week, and they have a 41-38 shootout. Uh, and it was just the, the most thrilling game of the NFL season. And unfortunately, uh, you know. We here did not get to see it because we were all busy watching the Redskins lose to the Cowboys. Uh, So, you know, I think a lot of people would have rather have watched that one rather than the debacle. When you look at the Redskins, three and four, and look, you can do this with every NFL team, but the Redskins this year more so than others. Three of the Redskins' four losses, you can point to one individual play that that shifted the game entirely. In week one against the Eagles, it was when Kirk Cousins fumbled, Fletcher Cox recovered, and ran a 20-yard fumble recovery in for a touchdown, giving the Eagles a bigger lead. Replay showed that Kirk Cousins looked down on that play. The referees came out and said, no, we're going to say he was still alive, and Cox got the ball, scored a touchdown. That was the first play. Week uh, four against Kansas City, the Josh Dotson catch that he was right in his hands. And we saw it a couple times this week that Dotson uh, couldn't make a catch either. Uh, If he catches that ball against Kansas City, maybe Kansas City still wins the game because they had time to march down the field. But they would have needed more than a field goal to do it. Uh, So it was advantage Redskins if he does. And then against, uh, you know, uh, last week against the Eagles, or I guess a week and a half now against the Eagles, not as much. The Redskins played well early in that game. Uh, The big turning point was when they did not, when they went three and out at the end of the first half and the Eagles scored at the end of the first half, scored to start the second half. And the game was basically over after that. But I don't, I don't include that in a, you know, one play shifting the tenor. That's just the Eagles being a better team than the Redskins right now. And then against the Cowboys, we talked about it. It was the blocked field goal that was returned, turning a 16 seed, what should have been a 16, seven lead into a 14, 13 deficit and and you know kind of even extrapolating from that 
the Redskins had the ball in great field position in that series, it could have been 20 to seven in uh, right there. And the Redskins could have really taken control of the game and they couldn't do it. And that's when the snowball effect begins. That's when the offense is on the field at the end of the first half. Jay Gruden calls an inexplicable timeout. That you know, uh, Cowboys get the ball. They didn't score, but it, it was one of these things that you look at Gruden and you just don't know what he's thinking in in these late half situations. Them going to Seattle and playing an offense that could put up 41 points on a good Texans defense is just a very daunting task. And we've seen the Redskins lose playoff games there. Uh, we, we've seen the Redskins lose play home playoff games uh, against Seattle. It's not a it's not a place that the Redskins necessarily play well. And I know a lot of those guys weren't on the team when the Redskins had those losses. But, I, you know, look at three and four after being three and two. And then losing to the Eagles, losing to the Cowboys to drop to three and four overall and 0 and three in the NFC East. If you said pick the place that the Redskins don't want to go the most, I think they would pick at Seattle. Well, you would have picked that just looking at looking at the schedule, period. That's the first thing I looked at. That's where you don't want to go. That and Arrowhead were the two places that jumped out to me. What I don't want people to misconstrue in what Deshaun Watson was able to do against that. Legion of Boom defense, yes, they've been a little bit down this year. They're not exactly as dominant as they once were. But in watching the highlights from that game, we don't have the weapons that they have. If you watch Deshaun, Jack, Deshaun Jackson, wish we had him. If you, <laughs> if you look at Deshaun Watson in that game, he is doing – there's a lot of ball fakes – going on uh, after he snaps the ball. Because with him, there's a threat of the run, so he's faking zone reads. He would fake a zone read, then fake a pitch, then drop back and able to hit Will Fuller or uh, DeAndre Hopkins down the field. We don't have a Will Fuller on the outside. We don't have a DeAndre Hopkins. So what they were able to do, and they went at Richard Sermon. They had no problems. Even though Richard Sermon did get an interception, they were fearless. They didn't fear going to that side. They didn't make themselves one-dimensional. I've seen the great Aaron Rodgers play that defense in Seattle a season, a couple seasons ago and did not go to that side of the field at all. I mean, exclusively away from uh, Richard Sherman. I don't know if that's just them challenging uh, him or Callahan or Watson just being unafraid or people may be thinking that Sherman lost a step or two. I don't know. But they went at him frequently and had success going at him. But they have weapons that we don't have. Oh, Deshaun I, I Watson don't, I, look, doing are, that. Are, are we going to put DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller in the Hall of Fame? No, no, Hopkins, no, 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 Hopkins no, 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 what they were able to do, we haven't put the trust and seen the production from our wide receivers to do. If you go, you have to go up on a leap of faith and try to get those guys, Doxon and Pryor, the ball, then fine. We haven't. I'm comparing what they've been able to do from what Fuller, and Fuller's had some production, and what those two were able to do last week. I'm not looking for the whole season. I'm talking about what they were able to do compared to what our receivers have done so far 
and it pales in comparison. They don't do that or they don't have the trust to do that because they really trusted those two. And even though you point out that Hopkins has had he hasn't been Hopkins every game. And you're right about that. He hasn't been. He's not a him. good and he's not a great NFL receiver. No, you could say the, the same great. thing no last week. Great. No one used if the word great. If you had been evaluating Jamal last week, the Texans Seahawks game, you could have said the same thing about Hopkins and Fuller saying these guys have potential, but they haven't broken out in their comes in their 10 combined games because uh, because Fuller missed the first couple weeks right. in their 10 combined games. They they combined for one game in which they had uh, individually in which they had over 75 yards. But receiving. all I'm talking about is you know, one game. I mean, I mean, these I'm guys are not last week. These guys aren't NFL stars. And the fact that they're they not went into Seattle that. shows that the Redskins could go into Seattle and do something. Uh, it's just they have no just a matter of they that. haven't. And are they going to do the it? Texans do you before. do you think they'll do that? Do you have the, the, the do you think Gruden and Cousins have the trust to do that? They haven't shown it. So why would I think they would start now? You know, well, I, I, I mean, would you have thought last week that Fuller and Hopkins would have gone into, into Seattle? I don't think anyone thought they were no, going to put up but, 79 points total in that no, game. I but, mean, but the over-under was 42. But Deshaun Watson and Bill Callahan, oh, Bill O'Brien, excuse me. I'm not even saying Bill O'Brien. O'Brien. They had the confidence. They had the nuts to go ahead and do that. I'm not sure if Dre, Jay has that. And I'm not sure if, if Cousins has the confidence to do that. I really don't. I haven't seen it because what we're doing, we're passing. Last week against Dallas was a two-man show. That was Crowder and Thompson all the way. Crowder, who is not even practicing today from what I saw, so I don't even know what that is. I think it's a hamstring thing. But they're going to have to step out on faith and try to get some other people involved, mainly those two in Pryor and Doxson, Doxson probably being Option number one, you're going to have to find it. You, you, if they haven't shown you the trust, fine. You're going to have to blind trust. You're going to have to find a way to get more than two or three people involved in this offense because you're making yourself predictable and easy to scheme for. You've got to go out because people are going to expect Thompson. Now, Crowder's had a good game. He's been MIA. They're going to expect those two. They know that. And they know Vernon Davis, especially with Reed being down, they know that he is going to uh, be prominent in the offense this week. But let's surprise some folks. Let's get those guys the ball. Give them the opportunity. I think the Redskins do strange and surprising things. And even before you guys started talking this afternoon, I thought I might pick the Skins no. against Seattle. No, I, I think this might this could be over early. It can get dark very early for the Redskins. I don't because you know what? We talked about the defense, but Seattle's offense who hadn't, had, hadn't been doing much of anything to begin the season. What they discovered last week, they were finally able to get their two young playmakers in Richardson and Lockett, who for, for injury reasons over the last couple of seasons have not been able to play full seasons. Lockett had a breakout year, uh, a year uh, two years ago. He got injured. You know, Richardson flashed here and there. He ends up getting hurt. But last week, and this is without Baldwin being who is the number one guy, without him being featured prominently, they took some long shots and made some huge plays down the field. And these two, they're not big guys, but they are very dynamic and explosive players. They can stretch the field, take the top off the of defense. If you get them in space, especially Lockett as a, as, as a returner, 
you get him in space, he can make you miss and make something happen. And we saw all of a sudden Jimmy Graham pop up out of nowhere last week with two touchdowns, looking like Jimmy Graham of old. Will that continue? I don't know because Jimmy Graham has is, is been in and out since he's gotten in Seattle, and they have been having him get the ball consistently. But I think they're on to something. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll and his team of villains, they may look past the skins, and that might help us too. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and I think that uh, the Redskins at some point are, are going to have to just, you know, take their lunch pails and put their hard helmets on and hard hats on and and go into a game and re, and stop blaming. I mean, look, I don't think they were doing this on Sunday, but I think that uh, it, it's an easy scapegoat to say, well, all our guys are injured mm-hmm. and that's why we couldn't hang on for you know 60 minutes. That's why we could only play basically 30. Uh, I mean, and it, look, it's true. If you look at the injury report, um, not the official NFL injury report because guys who are out aren't on there, but the guys who are injured right now for the teams, the Seahawks have 11 on their list. The Redskins have 22. I've never seen anything like this. And, you know, so, yes, it is a it is, quote unquote, you know, convenient for the Redskins to to blame the fact that four of their five offensive linemen have been hurt, that you're missing Trent Williams and Brandon Sheriff and and Brashad Breland was a late scratch in that game. But, yeah, I mean, going to Seattle, that that's probably the I, I, I don't know the official numbers, but that's probably the team that has held their home field advantage the best since the Pete Carroll era began. And you know, it's a daunting task for the Redskins to go there. But, yeah, I mean, there's no reason they can't pull a surprise. They have their quarterback, maybe the quarterback that they'll have for the next nine games. We haven't gotten into that yet, Dimitri, I noticed. Yeah, no, um, I want to jump into that. And, uh, I, yeah, I, I think there's something that, that they can do. If they can not make – the big mistakes. Uh, they could have been in the game with the Eagles twice. Right. They could have been in the game with the Cowboys, and they almost beat the Chiefs. And if you look at two of two of those three teams and three of those four games, because they played the Eagles twice, so that's three of their four losses against the two best teams in the NFL right mm-hmm. now. They were in those games. So there's no reason the Redskins can't go to Seattle and beat a team that lost to the Titans last month. I mean, you know, it's it's not insurmountable, let's say. No, it's not. It's it's daunting. I'll say that. And, and you know, usually I'm the one that, you know, kind of George and I kind of go with the team. And sometimes you do, too, Chris. But sometimes, you know, you're the guy that spells the doom and gloom and along with you, Dimitri. That's and, true. And of course, Big Chi. But right now, now I'm I'm feeling those vibes right now. Now we're 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 having an out of body experience. We're, we're gonna we're <laughs> switch places. Yeah, we're swapping now because. But like to your point uh, about the injuries, it's not an excuse. It's a factor, and I I agree with you that it's not an excuse and it shouldn't be used as one. It's a factor that okay you can't get around. It's just it's right there. Guys are hurt on both sides of the ball. Mostly, or the offensive line is the most decimated. That's just a fact. Now, you take that fact and you move on. You don't hang your hat on it. You don't stay there. Okay, guys are hurt. Let's move on. Let's coach around that. Let's coach these guys up. Let's make it easier on them as coaches if we can and scheme in, 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 in the right way. And Kirk is going to have to – he's going to have to lead. He's going to have to lead. I was talking to uh, Noah the other day, Noah Frank, uh, WTOP. Shout out to Noah. Now – during his career, Kirk's got 46 interceptions. 
and I want to get this stat correct from what Noah said, but I believe 21 or maybe half of those occurred in, I believe he said, the second half or more importantly, the fourth quarter. Now, for someone that wants elite money, I don't know if I could, for a franchise guy, if you can't get it in the fourth quarter, because that, that, that's, the, that's the part this that you're really paying for. That's really what it's all for. about, isn't that's it? That's what you're paying for. I'm mm-hmm. not paying for you to have uh, Padger stats. I'm not paying for you to not get going until week three or four. But what do you do in the fourth quarter? When Kirk Cousins comes in, and, and he's been in this position plenty of times. I mean, we saw it last week. Of course, last season, last game of the season, last year against the Giants. What do you do in the fourth quarter when it's winning time? Because when Brady, Rodgers, Breeze, even Matt Ryan, Big Ben, even Phillip Rivers to a certain extent, when they step on the field with a game on the line in the fourth quarter, there's a calmness about it. You're kind of like, you know what? There's a belief something is going to happen. It's a belief that that guy's going to get it done. Right. When he steps out there, I'm trying to figure out how long it's going to be before he turns the ball over and the game is done. And uh, to kind of bridge the gap here and, and seg- segue us to this, Jimmy Garoppolo, right. who had been backing up Tom Brady for the Patriots, has now been signed with the 49ers. That is one fewer option for Kirk Cousins to yep. go to, one that a lot of people thought he would because Kyle Shanahan right. is the coach of that team, that his former uh, offensive was, coordinator. Yeah, that was supposed to be the gimme. But what Lynch and and Shanahan have done, whether they you know consciously did it or not, they shifted just a little bit, not much, but it's a little bit momentum back, not momentum, excuse me, leverage, the word I'm looking for, a little more leverage back into the Redskins' hand just by taking, because that was the big destination. Right. Now you have to look at other places. The most attractive to me, and, and, and Chris, you can, you can chime in with your list, I would say Jacksonville at this point. With the teams I'm looking at, Jacksonville, that defense – who just added Marcel Darius, is young, and they're on the come up. You've got Fournette. I don't know what they would do with Allen Robinson, who's a free agent, but I think if Kirk comes in, Allen Robinson stays. So I think that would be interesting. Arizona is another spot, possibly, because Carson Palmer's probably should be on his last leg. He should be on the way out. Should be. Then you got the Jets, who are always always, always need. in a perpetual need for a quarterback. My thing with them is you struck out so many times in the draft with Geno, Hackenberg, Bryce Petty. They could be at the point right now where, you know what, we have messed up the draft so much. Let's just get a proven quarterback, pay him the money, bring him in, and go from there because with this draft thing, we just can't get it done. So those are three I see. Chris, what, what, who was on your list? Well, I mean, it, you know, there's not many teams on the list. No, it's, it's not. Though, it's, it's, not. <laughs> it's those three. And Cleveland, Cleveland he's not going to go to Cleveland. No, he's not. Uh, Denver's the other team that would be yes, on the list. I forgot about um, them. So, you know, those are the three teams. I, I think kind of against conventional wisdom here, everyone says that, well, Cousins going to San Francisco means there's one less suitor, which means that it might be easier for the Redskins to retain him if that's what side you're on in, in the Kirk Cousins debate. Yeah. And I, I disagree. I think that the 49ers, at least publicly, and now maybe privately this wasn't true, so it doesn't hold hold water here, the Niners seem to be such overwhelming favorites to get Cousins. And the fact that Shanahan 
uh, who has who has been with Cousins, who who you know basically drafted Cousins and, and helped Cousins develop in, into what he's become. The fact that he looked and chose Garoppolo, even though Garoppolo is due to get paid in uh, the next four months, I mean he's going to get he's on the last year of his contract, so right. he's going to be in a situation like Kirk Cousins was in two years ago. Are the Niners going to franchise him and pay him whatever it is, 22, 23 million? Are they going to give him the long-term deal? And they seem to have put all their eggs in his basket. Uh, you know, and in a side, it, it was amazing to me. Uh, this is the first time I think we've ever seen Bill Belichick walk away from a trade with egg on his face. Um, they were in, you know, because he had the offer for a uh, number 10 pick for Garoppolo yeah. and some, some lower round picks in the draft to trade him to the Cleveland Browns. And there were other other discussions from other teams he could have theoretically gotten a lot more for Garoppolo had he traded him in April but the Patriots were in this very untenable position where they didn't know whether Brady was going to keep playing and they had to keep Garoppolo around and then at some point they had to make a decision and credit to Belichick for uh, pulling the trigger on the decision at the trade deadline when they could actually do something about it. But they were in such a low leverage position that this, I mean, Belichick basically didn't get market value for a quarterback. I mean, uh, the Browns and Bengals yesterday almost traded, uh, you know, backup quarterback A.J. McCarron for a second and a third round pick. And Garoppolo, who is now supposed to be the savior in San Francisco, just went for a second round pick. So, you know, it's crazy to me. So I, I just think that now... That San Francisco's out, you're going to see a, a huge effort by the teams we mentioned: Jacksonville, uh, Arizona, Denver. Uh, you know, I think Cousins will want to go to a contender. Uh, but it, you know, we never know with these guys. When you look at the contracts and you look at how people break them down, some people only go for money. Some people go for situations. Some people, like Tom Brady, uh, will take a lesser salary mm-hmm. to help the team. Cousins, you know, shouldn't and I don't think will do that no, because he he's got to go get his when he can. This is his contract, right. and then if he wins a Super Bowl, then he can he can worry he can about uh, you know t- taking a pay cut for the team. Uh, for right now, I'm when when you look at this. I look at Jacksonville and I look at the owner, Shad Khan, who has built a great uh, team. He's paid money. He's uh, hired the right people he's in the right well roles. And, and I think he's the kind of guy who will uh, pay money for Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. I think he'll give him, you know, I mean, there's no, there's no such thing as a, as a max deal in the NFL like there is in the NBA. But I think he will make an offer that Cousins can't refuse and that the Redskins, if they do transition tag him, won't be able to match. Let me ask you guys why you haven't mentioned Pittsburgh. Big Ben retires. Kirk Cousins goes well, there. Well, you have, I don't, Big Ben is, I, I can't, this is every year with him. Yeah. I, I just don't. He, he I don't, does look like it. Uh, yeah, I, if I, I say so myself, as somebody who also looks elderly. Yeah, but I don't. Big get, Ben looks a I little elderly. I don't get into that. With Not him. frail, but no. Yeah. He, he says this all the time. This is almost, you know, almost farvish in a way that when he used to threaten retirement, when until he actually did it, then undid it, then you know. So I don't, and I don't read into that until Big Ben actually does it. He's the quarterback over there. Landry, uh, Landry is there. They'll deal with that when they cross that bridge. I don't think they'll do it the Steelers' way. Yeah, I, guess I don't. You could I don't say. think Tomlin is. You know, if you're going to do it, do it. You know, at this point, it's like the boy who cried wolf. You say this every season. If you're going to do it, man, do it. If not, 
I'll see you at training camp. So I'll, yeah. I'll treat it like that. But to your point, Chris, about Denver, and I agree with you 100% about uh, Jacksonville and Con. I think they would pay. That's one of the reasons I am res- I have kind of reserved about Denver, because I'm not sure if Elway would pay. Well, you know, a- after his debacle with Brock Osweiler right. and Trevor Simeon, it'll be interesting shot, yeah. to see whether I agree that three. I mean, three years ago, we saw he wouldn't or two years ago when yeah. they wouldn't sign Osweiler. We saw he wouldn't pay. But then again, we also saw or we figured that Elway saw that Osweiler wasn't the answer. Uh, how these guys are scouting cousins from from what you read and what you hear there is a very wide gamut of opinions mm-hmm. ab- about Kirk Cousins. There are some guys that think he's a 8, 9, 10 quarterback in the NFL. There are guys that think he's 17, 18, 19. Uh, so, you know, that right there is uh, $40 million difference, if you will. Uh, but I, I think, Dimitri, I think your point's right. I mean, we don't know what Roethlisberger is going to do, and the Steelers are getting to the point where they're going to have to make the Brady decision, just like the Patriots did. How do you have loyalty? Do you value loyalty and do you keep with the guy? Or do you, you know, say, hey, this is a business and you haven't been great for us. And there's a guy that for if Tomlin uh, and the Steelers believe that Cousins is a guy that can help them get to the top of the AFC North and, and challenge in an AFC that's not going to have Tom Brady in three or four years, then I then I think they might do it. Uh, and especially because Roethlisberger seems to be a willing participant in possibly uh, getting out. And yeah, Jamal said he does this every year and it's yeah. very, uh, you know, Hamlet and Helmet like just Brett, Brett Favre was. But I could see Roethlisberger retiring the Steelers jumping on Cousins and then Roethlisberger going back and playing a year in Jacksonville or something. You know, look, I, I'm just making that up as a pie in the sky theory, but it's possible because because, you know, look, Roethlisberger's not Tom Brady. He's not Tom Brady in two ways. One, he is uh, he's a guy who's not built to play till he's 42, 43 years old. No one has been in the history of the NFL. Brady's the only guy that's doing that. Roethlisberger will be 36 next year. He's played better of late, but had a very rough start to the season. And second of all, Roethlisberger has never been an offensive juggernaut. He has been uh, a guy who can help you move the ball. He's a guy who can you know get the ball to receivers, uh, knows how to read a defense, hands off. But he's never been this spectacular guy who's putting up gaudy numbers. So uh, and, you know, loyalty does not exist in professional sports and, and the the anomaly that we're seeing in, in uh, not Pittsburgh in, in New England with Brady uh, I mean look I I think that if Tom Brady had come out this year and the Patriots were two and five right now and he has you know five touchdown passes and 13 interceptions I fully believe they would have kept Garoppolo and made him the quarterback next year but Brady showed that he's still Brady and look I don't know I mean I, I did a study last year uh, for an article I wrote on quarterbacks over 40. No one had ever done what Brady did at 39. Uh, Brett Favre was the closest. Uh, you know, Brady had the best year for anyone at 39. Once you get to 40, there were maybe five guys in NFL history who had ever put up a winning record uh, in more than eight games. Basically, a starting quarterback who had a winning record, let alone put up great numbers. Favre had a, gr- a good season at 40. We all remember that Viking season where he had that interception at the last second that would have, uh, you know, helped the Vikings get to the Super Bowl. But Brady's in uncharted territory here, and. Uh, 
you just can't do that with other quarterbacks. Mike Tomlin cannot sit here and say, I think Roethlisberger is going to play till he's 39. He gets beat up. He gets bruised. He gets hit. Uh, he has just taken a beating in his NFL career. And this is a guy I don't see playing at 38 or 39. And if you don't see him playing at 38 or 39, then you're looking ahead and you're saying, OK, we're going to need a quarterback in two years. Yeah, OK. I, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I get all of that from that standpoint. Again, will Pittsburgh pay? You still have the situation with Le'Veon Bell's contract, which is up in the air and, and unresolved. So will they then turn around and give Cousins a boatload of money and not Bell? Because we all know Le'Veon is very temperamental. And at that point, I'll say this. If they turn around and pony up the Cousins and don't pay Le'Veon Bell, at that point, you've got to trade him. Le'Veon's got to go because that's going to be a problem. He already held out this offseason about the contract. So if they in turn turn around and give money that should go to him, that he's earned, yes, he's, he gets injured and all that, but he is still one of the best in the league when he's on the field. And outside of Antonio Brown, of course, he is pretty much what makes that offense go. When he's not going, they're not the same offense. But if you turn around and pony up that money for Kirk Cousins, Le'Veon's got to go. You know, so one thing we haven't talked about is we talked about uh, where Cousins could go now that San Francisco seemingly almost certainly is an option. One thing we didn't talk about is what is the what is the financial uh, market for Kirk Cousins now? I have a feeling that uh, it was a very sad night in uh, in in the Cousins household on uh, on Monday night when the Garoppolo trade broke. And I think it was a very sad night in, uh, you know, in his uh, in Mike McCartney, his agent's house, because they took the biggest number one whale out of the water. Right. And now it could be a little different. I don't know if we're going to see the 90 million, 80 million, 90 million guaranteed that that we did, especially with the way Cousins is playing this year, which is acceptable, which is I still think a guy the Redskins should keep around. I don't think he should be blamed for the injuries of his teammates. I don't think he should be blamed for the fact that the defense is gassed. And yeah, those fourth quarter interceptions hurt. But, you you know, you can explain some of those away. Not all, because Jamal said uh, the, the main one, which was the Giants game last year in week 17, when the Giants basically were waving the white flag and the Redskins uh, threw an interception, Cousins threw an interception at the end and the Redskins missed the playoffs, but like the one against Dallas, uh, Look, I thought that was a terrible play call by Jay Gruden. I don't understand why they were throwing underneath uh, when they were trying to get seven points in 90 seconds to right. go uh, tie the game. I guess they need eight points to go to go tie the game. Cousins explained it, saying, well, we wanted to go underneath. We were cold. It was rainy. We had been on the bench for a while. But that interception doesn't bother me as much as some of the others. Uh, but, you know, look, it just all things being equal. I've said it from the get go. I still think Kirk Cousins should be on the Redskins next year. I don't think he will be. George Wallace, the you know T.O.P. Redskins beat reporter, uh, has said since the, since basically this has become a topic, he has said Cousins will not be he Cousins will not sign a long term deal here. And George knows the Redskins far better than any of us, so uh, I go with him on that. I don't. I, it took me uh, two years to agree with him, but now I finally have have uh, come around to it. I don't think Cousins will. Sign 
sign a long-term deal here. That doesn't mean they won't ridiculously give him another franchise or transition year, though. I think what would be interesting, just real quick, if you're talking about how much you know he can demand now because San Fran is out of there, of course, we already mentioned Jacksonville you know, will we'll actually pay. They're one of those teams that will do something like that to make a splash. What would be interesting to me is if, let's say, if Alex Smith hits the open market, if he's not franchised uh, in Kansas City and they don't reach a longer-term deal and they chose, they choose to go in the, the Pat Mahomes direction, which we have discussed before, but let's say for argument's sake he hits the open market. Let's also say for argument's sake that Drew Brees hits the open market and he's no longer New Orleans and they part ways. That kind of – now that's interesting – is is Kirk going to demand more money than Alex Smith, who is having a, a MVP season, 17 touchdowns, zero interceptions? Or is he going to demand more money than uh, most likely Hall of Fame uh, inductee uh, in the future in Drew Brees? Is he going to try to outmarket them? Because right now, Alex Smith can ask for whatever he wants. Drew Brees, because of his age, might be limited, but you know, certain teams, when they see that big name, they don't they don't care about the age anymore. That's Drew Brees. I gotta have Drew Brees. And they'll back the Brinks truck up. If that's the case and those two names are on the open market, that'll dictate what Kirk gets. Will he try to get, ask for more than either one of those two quarterbacks? Because I don't think right now that he could. You shouldn't. Because no, he, he hasn't done enough. Shouldn't. He hasn't done enough than either one of those two, especially Alex Smith, this year. I'd like to finish up with Dave Martinez, the new manager for the Nationals. One answer from each of you guys. Can this guy get the Nats to the World Series with uh, what he Chris, has to work with? I will defer to you. Sure. I don't, I don't yeah. know much about him outside of what I saw. Cubs Wicked, bench coach, right? Cubs bench coach. Um, from what I've seen about him on Wikipedia, he played from, I think, 86 to 0. I mean, he had a very lengthy career he's been around um he's been under joe madden and, and hopefully he's been like a sponge and then soaked up every bit of knowledge that he could get from joe madden he's got the pieces here to put it together he doesn't have to do a whole lot just don't get in the player's way don't get in your own way don't try to come in and, and rearrange and tinker too much because this lineup and and this team, this roster is pretty much set, especially talent-wise. You, you can't get much better than what they have right now. You have a team that's possibly built for a dynasty run. If, if things are, people are kept, Bryce and Rizzo and, you know, whoever else. So right now, he's 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 in a in, in a great spot. He's in almost almost a dream position. It's a three year deal with, three year. with the fourth year option. Well, they're, they're still in the still in the same in the same mindset in the same mold, and you know, four year option. Like we said, all those managers they had before, no one's made a past two and a half seasons. So a three-year deal with a – is it a team option for the fourth year? It, it, it's a three-year deal with a four-year option, which is different than they've done, and that's standard market value for okay. new guys. So, so I mean, I've well, got a feeling we're going to see so. them in the three-and-a-half to $4 million range, yeah. which is basically what the going market is now. And, and the Nationals had to catch up with the market because, you know, they hadn't. You know, like to look at Martinez and to to look at the other options out there, people will say Joe Girardi, Joe they Girardi, Joe, Joe, Girardi. You know, Girardi. Girardi. We should have they should have gotten him from the Yankees. He no, was they, available. The learners don't pay people like that. They don't. They're not going to pay for Girardi. 
Well, yeah, I mean, Girardi was only getting four million from the Yankees, yeah, and still, you know, probably would have come here four and a half, and and would you have paid an extra half a million I for Joe Girardi? I, I don't know, but all reports are that Girardi is sort of trying to distance himself from managing. Maybe mm-hmm. wants to get a job in the MLB front office. Maybe wants to do something in a in a uh, team front office in an executive role. So. It, if you're just going to throw some money at a guy, which, again, we know the Londoners don't do when it comes to managers, right. I have no problem not throwing it at Girardi if you're not sure his head's going to be in it. Uh, as far as Martinez, I mean, I, I, look, I mean, the one thing I think he does have to do is he has to stay in his players' faces and he has to not, you know, like a, like a drill sergeant, but he needs to become uh, friendly and needs to become a pal to his players because what we saw with Matt Williams, the biggest managing debacle that the Nationals have had recently, is that he didn't engage with his players. The right. clubhouse was a mess, and, and that's what Dusty Baker was so good at. I mean, we, Dimitri, you and I talked after every night of the playoffs on, on radio and there was a lot of questions about Dusty and and whether he would stay and the decisions he was making, but all things being equal, 97 wins, 95 wins, that's what matters in Major League Baseball. When you get to the playoffs, it's basically just a coin toss. I mean, who knows who's going to win every game? It's just one pitch, one hanging curveball, one ball that you know misses the uh, misses the, the, the you know getting over the fence by six inches. So. I think if you were going to hire someone and you were going to hire uh, a new manager, getting the bench coach for Joe Madden for, for the past, I believe, 10 seasons, mm-hmm. who was in Tampa Bay when they revitalized and turned around that franchise, not even revitalized, vitalized that franchise because they weren't uh, anything before right. Madden got there and then followed Madden to Chicago where they won a World Series last year and made the playoffs this year and obviously uh, you know, beat the Nationals in that playoff series, I think it's the perfect hire. I mean, you can't know until you get into the season, and we're not going to know until June, July, August of next year. But on paper, Martinez seems like the perfect guy for the role. Uh, baseball managers, again, though, you don't know until you get them in the clubhouse. How will they react with the players? How will he deal with Bryce Harper, who's in a contract year? Right. And we'll be getting questions every single day about his new contract and whether he'll go to New York. How do you deal with Scherzer after the the toughness of last year? And Strasburg, who's like, you know, who Strasburg, I think, needs to be managed. And I, th- I thought Dusty Baker handled him well. So it'll be very interesting. But all things being equal, I think a thumbs up to the Dave Martinez hire. Uh, whether the learners luckily stumbled into him, we'll see. Uh, I, I think DC Sports is due for a bit of good luck. I think that's that's the biggest thing uh, that you brought up. That's the biggest thing is how he handles the clubhouse. Because Dusty, we all agree, that's a tough act to follow in, in, in managing and dealing with a clubhouse the way that he did it. And, you know, like you said, Matt Williams, that was a debacle. That didn't work at all, especially with uh, him and Worth. Well, Worth probably won't even be here. But that's going to be his biggest and should be his first task in terms of how he establishes relationships with Bryce Harper, Strasburg, because those are different personalities. Strasburg's a little more reserved, sometimes aloof. Uh, Bryce is a little more fiery and intense. Scherzer is on the same wavelength. So you have to be able to incorporate all of these personalities, and Dusty did that uh, beautifully. Can he come in 
and galvanize the locker room and manage the clubhouse in the same way which Dusty did. And if he does that, that's probably going to be his biggest win of the season. That's going to make everything go so much smoother if he can endear himself to his players and keep that clubhouse the way that it was and they not skip a beat. Everything else should take care of itself. We will get to the Wizards very, very soon. Cleveland on Friday, so that should be interesting. But I know we haven't gotten to a lot of NBA. We will get to, for all our NBA heads, all our Wizards fans, we will get to that for you guys. Absolutely. The DMV Sports Roundtable. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, and WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC. Follow us on Twitter at DMV Sports Round One. Thanks for tuning in.